the future, we definitely will be a lot more scrutinizing of that customer service relationship and then any, again, road mapping when it comes to that transition. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Paul Moreno, VP of InfoSec at Katawiki, formerly SVP of Cyber at Adyen. He's an advisor, an investor, and an all-around player in the industry. And he's with us today to talk about a very interesting case study, and it's turned into a topic I'm going to call How to Trust Your Vendor. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, president and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. So, uh, Paul, I'll cue it up. You had a SIM vendor you were working with who had a SaaS product. Is that right? Yep, yep. So we uh, earlier last year, we had a, a bake-off with three different vendors that we decided to choose for um, a proof of concept or a proof of value. Yep. So we struggled with one of them to get a GDPR EU instance launched. I think that was the first maybe kind of a, a light yellow flag on the field. Um, but we have, a, we have a privacy requirements here in Europe. So we wanted to make sure that uh, they met our um, a DPA, basically a data protection agreement that's arranged between the two organizations. So we eventually formed a 60-day proof of concept or proof of value with the three vendors. Um, one stood out. It was also uh, referred by a value-added reseller that I've used. Um, and then it also happened to be the one that initially struggled. So you can see the, the two kind of hit the dot right there or connected dots. Um, but they did meet our uh, proof of concept requirements and success criteria um, within their proof of concept environment. Um, so we get around to negotiating the pricing. All looks good. We're happy with the deal. Uh, VAR considerably saved us some time and moved this along, uh, being that they're based out of the U.S. or Europe. Uh, a lot of vendors are out of the uh, USA or maybe Israel, for example. Sure. Now, yeah. now, how much did you uh, vet these guys with friends? Like, did you check in with other CISOs? Have you guys used these guys? Are they good? Do they have a good rep? Yep. Correct. So they did come preferred. Um, and then we also did ask for a reference. Uh, generally something I do with any vendor, say, hey, give me uh, somebody I can speak to about our use cases that's maybe similar in company size or journey um, or maybe the industry if you can find something that's a uh, spot on match. But uh, Katawiki, we're a little bit unique in the sense of being a marketplace for very special objects. So there's not a lot of competition out there that really meets this kind of uh, vein, if you will, for industry. Hard, hard to get very specific on a comparison, but you but you did your reference check. You got references from the community in general, and then you got specific references through the vendor. So, okay, sounds to me like you did all the right things. You vetted them. You had a VAR. You had CISO feedback. You had a reference that you checked, and then the bad thing happened. Right? What's the what's walk me through what occurred? I'll walk you through. There's a comedy of errors, I'd say, that ended up making this story. Um, so you probably had this with another vendor, but we get the deals done, um, the POCs uh, complete, and then we feel like we got moved to the B team. You know, the team A is great. They're the ones that answer everything quick, near real time. Uh, they consistently check in with you. They're great at communicating. Um, and then we got moved to B team, which I felt almost initially like they were specifically trained on how to be slow. Um, we also didn't have a dedicated customer service manager or representative um, or anything in our time zone support. We realized that they were helping us out on the USA side, but the EU wasn't really fully baked out. So that was kind of uh, something that we should have asked up front to. What's your support model look like for outside of your, your native uh, headquarters? Uh, so so we'll show you the love while we want your money, but once we have your money, we're going to throttle it back. Yeah, pre-sales, post-sales. Um, but this is where it turns bad. Um, we also get told that we require another technical element to the deal that we were supposed to provide, 
Uh, we'll call it like a data injection node. I can't tell it by name to avoid disclosing the vendor. Um, and I pushed back that it's uh, not stated, listed in the requirements. So we didn't even know that this was something that we were supposed to provide. And this was supposed to be a SaaS solution, uh, like an all cloud solution. So fast forward, they fix this, but then drop the fact that they can't run the same jobs that were run on this node anymore due to FedRAMP certification. So this delays our POC to prod migration from 30 to 60 days. We have to refactor some log sources to use a new method that wasn't originally in the design. Still overall okay, but we've got a couple yellow flags on the field, right? Um, we're now finally operational uh, with POC parity in the live environment, uh, but then we notice some stability problems emerge. Uh, things don't work like they say they would. Uh, things like minor UI bugs, we notice that our pager duty uh, doesn't work correctly, despite them saying it was natively compatible, um, and we struggle to, to get this alerting set up correctly. So we open up tickets, uh, customer service tickets, um, and we seem to get replies, but they're slow, sometimes not even acknowledged for seven or eight days. We complain, and then eventually we do get a magical CSM in our time zone. Great. This gets taken over. So at that point, believe it or not, we're getting hit up to do an upsell. They want to try to sell us on another product within the vendor, oh my uh, which is surprising. Yeah, I've said, okay. Um, but I say, hey, look, uh, we're fine with you doing the upsell, but look, we're having operational issues. Why don't you help us get these figured out first? This is kind of what blows me away that they were so pushy on an upsell. Okay, so 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 let me let me start you there. So far, everything I'm hearing is a fairly standard proof of concept. You know, the things come to light. This is why we do a POC, right? Like this is why we do a POC. We want to see the the the. We want to test drive the company. We want to test drive the support. We want to test drive the product. And and you're doing all these things that you're supposed to do. And you're finding some snags and some hurdles and some some speed bumps, but nothing that you would call a red flag yet, and nothing that I would consider to be too uncommon. Although the Better support pre-sale versus post-sale is usually a, a red, not a yellow for me. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but okay, so, so there we go. So, so far, relatively a normal POC with some bumps and obstacles. Yeah, but then this is where it gets fun. So I ignore the Gardner survey and the Amazon gift card, as you normally do during the honeymoon period. Sure. Um, and then the, the stuff hits the fan. <clears throat> My primary team member working on this uh, notices within their, their back-end wiki that they had credentials in the clear, some contracts, uh, org charts for other customers. And some of them are being FedRAMP, or some of them are FedRAMP customers and potentially uh, have medical uh, services that they provide. So this is a big red flag for us there. Right. This this is a security vendor. Yes. Casually, uh, accidentally leaking other customers' info, sensitive info, medical info, FedRAMP info, to another random customer who's not even a customer customer yet, but still POC. Well, we were already a customer at that point. We're past the POC, but we're having the, again, the honeymoon period is over. <laughs> we spot this, and then that's when we flip out and say, okay, you know what? We need to start asking them uh, for a little bit more due diligence. And for one, raise this as a red flag. Hey, you guys got a data breach on your hand. We want to know that you might know, make sure you know about it. Um, and if you don't, uh, we'd like you to do something about it, include, including making sure that we're not susceptible to this data breach. Sure, sure. Yeah, if it if it happens, if if you're leaking their info, what's to prove you're not leaking our info? Correct. Yeah, pretty standard so we, concern in that scenario. Yeah, at that point, we ask for their ISO twenty seven thousand one uh, statement of applicability. This is common sense for us to go a little bit deeper. Um, and then they refuse to share it with us, which was also a red flag. It got worse. 
uh, stating it was confidential um, and that we're up for renewal anyway, wait for the new one. Um, and so we asked if our data was exposed to other customers. We did get no reply and then they just silently removed the data. So they do address it, but not in the way that we'd expected. So it was something that was a little bit uh, more than concerning, especially being in Europe that I have to follow up with this legally. Um, we go further into the product itself and then we notice other things like uh, brute force protection. There's a little checkbox to enable this. That doesn't seem to work. And we also notice there's admin accounts are locally that are called literally admin. And we're wondering why this wasn't disabled because we were told it would be removed after the puck. Um, opened up a ticket for both of these issues. Um, and they went unaddressed. So there's a pile of tickets there, all unaddressed, a data breach on our hands. Tried to bid upsell on the on, upsell on this product itself. And they seem to be uh, more or less at this point uh, in breach of contract for the SLA. Uh, call them out on it. I even get their uh, their upper management involved. Uh, it's someone in this case via LinkedIn. Uh, they put us on the line with their chief software architect to address some of these issues that we fall, we found, stating that they can't remove the admin account. Um, they dismissed the data breach issue. Uh, we get some lip service there, and then ultimately no action. Um, and then they disclose that they can't actually remove this admin account because it's being used for backend services. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, password is admin. I'm assuming. Right. We uh, we hoped it wasn't Linksys, but yeah, at that point, when nothing, everything is on the table. So um, I don't see any action there. Um, we have some concerns. Uh, I call them out for breach of contract. Uh, they refuse. Um, so we're basically thinking this is not the right vendor for us anymore. Um, yeah. And they refuse despite some legal back and forth, calling them out with explicit examples of the breach of contract. Um, at this point, I say, you know what? I, I feel like it's uh, my due diligence uh, on, a, on a personal level, ethical level, to reach out to make sure these other customers that have potential lives at stake, FedRAMP and medical suppliers that have lives at stake, to let them know that, hey, you, you should probably do a little bit of checking with your vendor that we share, that yeah. they may have had disclosed your information and not told you about it. So... Lessons learned here. Uh, they didn't do some basic things uh, that we'd expect them to uh, verify within the POC. So we trusted their ISO too much. Right, right. Just slid it across the table. Hey, you have one. Check the box. Did you how? So you could have you could have dug into it more deeply. And and to your point, scope of applicability would have been super critical as well. Yep, yep. And then also something to point out too was a big flag that we didn't really understand or ask was they were using the same uh, wiki platform for their customers as they do for internal documentation. So that was disclosed that they, that's why the docs were made available, that they were actually uh, using the same platform. Same with their ticketing system. So, yeah, yeah. Oh boy, ticketing system too. There's, yeah, there's a nightmare of, oops, wrong bucket, and suddenly somebody's looking at somebody's stuff. Correct, but that also went to go on and explain why we weren't getting replies because they were communicating thinking they were talking to the customer, but it was an internal note so that we couldn't see it. So there was actually updates on some of our tickets. We just never knew about it. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit further, we see them doing other things like uh, we had, were trying to add additional functionality and they suggested that we add the credentials to the ticketing system um, or otherwise email them. And we stopped there and said, no, we're not doing that. Do you know what a password manager is? Is there a way we can temporarily securely share credentials? Can we use a GPG key? Something else to at least confirm that we're sending this to an audience that has the sole right to open it. You know, we don't want to have a giant team of 400 CS uh, people that have access to this. For well, and, and it's not, you know, I'm, this is a security vendor you're talking to, right? Like th this is one-on-one stuff. You don't ask for passwords in the clear. 
as a security vendor, you already have a secure, you know, SFTP or some method to drop off documents that's encrypted. You have some like these are these are table stakes for me. And to find all this out after the fact that they don't even have the basics in place, that's frightening. Yeah, it was frightening. So we did some other things uh, to compensate before we threw in the towel. Um, they also agreed to let us out of the deal. And we ultimately showed another vendor or went to another vendor, I should say. Um, but we did create some alerts to make sure we could see when they were logging into that ad admin account, which you should do anyway as part of your own control framework. But for a vendor to, uh, to monitor the vendor use of it was also kind of something that we didn't uh, foresee us doing. So monitoring and alerting all that stuff on a technical level. Treat, treat your own controls applicable to the third party too, which I could say is a safety net. But yeah, obviously they, they, they tiptoed around their uh, ISO and probably have misinformed some of their customers at that point too. Sure. Now how, walk me through the whistleblowing. When you notified these other customers, you know, FedRAMP customers, HIPAA customers, like I assume, A, they were super grateful to have heard from you. They took it seriously. Um, they did. Uh, they reported it through their responsible disclosure page or our official process in, in the uh, event of the FedRAMP customer. Um, and I did get a reply acknowledgement that they received it. But then the only uh, loop I got back was the uh, CEO trying to come after me from this company saying that I'm now in breach of their mutual non-disclosure for reaching out to one of their other customers. So they try to, to turn the contract breach around on me. So it was seen as a thinly veiled threat where I said, you're, you're putting me in a weird position where I did a whistleblowing maneuver because you failed to disclose that you had a data breach to some potentially life impacting customers. They dropped it. They didn't follow up with me on it, but I felt it was insulting and also maybe a, a sad uh, characteristic of that organization. Well, it, it sounds like maybe CEO popped one off before talking to counsel and then talked to counsel and realized, oh, gee, yeah. <laughs> maybe not the leg to stand on for a fight. Yeah, I would have looked forward to seeing that sent in a letter uh, that that I'm being called out for a mutual non-disclosure uh, violation due to the fact that they had a data breach they didn't want to disclose. But uh, <laughs> I've seen crazier things in my life now. I think I've worked at a number of folks, a uh, number of companies that seem to have similar issues. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. So any other, any other lessons learned on this particular one? I would say find a customer of theirs that's past that honeymoon period and make sure that you get someone that's like six months to nine months into a product as a reference point. Cause that all these, uh, they can tell you the horror stories from the onboarding or if there is any sort of B team that gets called in uh, after the fact, after you signed any agreement, uh, maybe even put something in your, uh, your agreement. If you have the ability to do, to extend that honeymoon period so that you can get out of a deal with, you know, no, no hurt feelings, no bad will with each other, like kind of a, uh, a clause in there to see if it's worth uh, exploring that at a cost, of course, maybe just part, part ways, early departure, uh, 90 days or 60, uh, six months into I, it. I like that. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Um, yeah. and, and, and throw them something for their time, right? Don't course, just make yeah. them walk away. Yeah. I like yeah. that. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> The final insult to injury is uh, we're in the process up and live on a new vendor, but then they were trying to charge us to get our data from them, which is illegal as part of GDPR. Yes. We have the rights to our data. So yes. they were trying to charge us money to have it back. So uh, that's where I, you know, our, our legal team, myself, also put forward, hey, this is not something you can do ethically or legally. So, yeah, yeah. You know. But My good goodness. riddance, we're no longer working with them. Um, it's something that we felt was a learning lesson at large. I've never had a vendor this bad or do this before. That's craziness to me. This is, yeah, it's, it's you know, we, we see, um, we've had some recent incidents, you know, 
uh, I've seen references on LinkedIn to this company got popped and that company got breached. And some of these are security companies and some of these companies had SOC 2 certs. You know, we look at um, even just the recent LastPass, right? LastPass had a SOC 2 uh, attestation that, that was a positive attestation that was signed by the CISO. Um, you know, so so you see these things and it, it undermines the trust and the value to me of the whole thing, right? Like, What's the value of SOC 2 if somebody's got one? It's a positive attestation letter. You know, you can't call it a certification or a validation with SOC 2, but you've got a very positive attestation letter, and yet they get breached, you know, and, and it turns out the breach was something relatively obvious. You know, what's the value of that? ISO 27001. I've gotten ISO 27001 certifications before. It is a lot harder than SOC 2. It is intensive. It can be, depending on scope, super intensive or only a little intensive, right? Like it's... And, and that scope of applicability, to your point, is a very, very, very necessary piece to ask after, I think. Um, but I still say the value of it, right? Like, they had one. They slid it across the table. You, you were able to say, oh, cool, you've passed this, you know, hurdle. You've, you've, you've overcome this hurdle. It, it makes me question the value of any of these, you know, certifications, validations, whatever you want to call them, attestations. Like, I, I, it calls into question the value of all of that stuff. Let's pause right there for a quick word about Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all. Alan Alford here to tell you about Alan Alford Consulting. After being a CISO five times, I decided to launch my own cybersecurity consulting practice. My cybersecurity career has spanned companies ranging from five to 50,000 employees, with revenues ranging from two million on up to 10 billion. I have worked in the cybersecurity industry itself, telecommunications, manufacturing, education, legal, data services, defense contracting, and for a number of SaaS providers as well. What I can do for your organization is to help you better manage, measure, report on, and more importantly, execute on your cybersecurity program. I have helped clients employ cybersecurity frameworks, conduct maturity assessments, develop board reports, and even to draft comprehensive three-year plans with budget and headcount projection to meet compliance and maturity goals. I can help you with anything from an assessment to comprehensive execution. I also offer retainer packages. Find out more at allenalford.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D.com. Well, controls can only go so far, especially I think this comes down to us not understanding what that scope was. So maybe they did scope it to some narrow element of the product. I mean, I didn't even begin to, to tell you that they also were, they have a sore element that wasn't even functional and they were trying to sell that too. So it could have been that the SOA was for something else altogether. I don't even know. We didn't get a copy of it, so we couldn't review it. But as far as we know, it was applicable to what we were using. Right, right, right. Um, could have been just the that. HR department. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> HR checks out, guys. It's for the backup systems, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> my very first ISO 27001, my very first one, we were going to do just engineering and IT, and it was a technical company. And we realized we've already covered two-thirds of the company anyway. We might as well just go for a whole company ISO cert. And we did, and we passed, and we got it on the first try. Um, that was a year plus of work. It, 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 was not, it was not easy. The first time ISO 27001 cert for a, for a technical company with a bazillion inputs and outputs and network connections and product offerings and all that other good jazz. Like, it, it is not lightweight. And yet, here's an ISO 27001 cert on the table, and, and you still don't, you know, you still don't have your assurances, right? So, so what about the other lessons learned? Some of this was standard POC physics that, like you said, yellow flags that were coming along, and, and, and it almost feels like we almost need like a five yellows as a red rule or something or three yeah. yellows as a red rule. You got to trust your spidey senses on this one. And, again, coming back to making sure you get some good uh, 
not necessarily their best in best in class relationship wise customers find some that might have been past that honeymoon period but then call them out on their uh their customer service slas too like they may have something in there that if you see something that's a little bit um too good to be true which we thought like okay they're going to do like one week resolution for a problem we identify i'm like that's pretty high but then you ask what's your release cycle like if that release cycle is two weeks something doesn't add up here there's no way on earth they're going to always meet that one week SLA. So you could you can do some more due diligence on things like that or open up uh, what we did with our new vendor is we actually opened up some tickets um, that were small, but we wanted to see how they responded to them and what what uh, XPD is that they would put behind it, see if there's, you know, putting the right priority. But we did have a couple small ones related to performance. We called that out and expected at a root cause analysis. What was the reason this was happening? So... And yeah. and the new vendor obliged, whereas this original vendor obviously did not oblige on those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, is like uh, they they definitely knew we were coming from a bad experience, and they needed to put the good foot forward. And we did literally ask him like, "What's going to happen post sales? Are we going to get moved to a different team?" And they said, "No, you've got the same team from A to B. So this is going to be you know, if that was something that we found too to be nice, not necessarily." Uh, we expected to have problems, but it did at least show that there was a transition in mind already so that they didn't have a kind of false representation from the POC to the live environment. Yeah, I've got I've got a client right now uh, I'm working with who I can't name the vendor or the type of vendor, but it's a cybersecurity vendor SaaS tool that we're working with. And they told us up front, you're going to work with, you know, I'm going to make up names now. You're going to work with Timmy for the first, you know, X weeks until you get to a certain percentage completion of the project. And then we're going to transition to Tammy. And you're going to meet Tammy now. Tammy will be keeping an eye on things behind the scenes. Like they did transition us to a different team, but it was a nice overlap. Like here's, here's who's going to be your person. It's Tammy. Tammy's already in the loop. She's been watching. She's, you know, and so Timmy to Tammy was a nice clean transition, even though it was different. And they told us about that up front. And I was kind of surprised by that. I hadn't seen that sort of behavior before, where if it is a transition, they, they tell you who the players are, who they're going to be, what the transition looks like, what the rules of the transition are. Like we got all that up front. I was pleasantly surprised by that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I think that in the future we definitely will be a lot more scrutinizing of that customer service relationship and then any again road mapping when it comes to that transition. I think that's a really good call out that you gotta understand at least if they tell you it's happening, it feels better than just having it be a surprise. Again, you have you know, you know, Tammy just jumps on the call one day and says, I'm your new rep and then they have no understanding of where you're at within the journey of their product. So That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So, you know, it, it almost feels like I, I wish you could do this. I wish you could say, you know, I want a reference from your angriest customer, you know, like <laughs> I do too. Cool? I actually had, I had that in my notes, uh, what I brought with my team and they're like, nobody's ever going to do that. I said, I know, but doesn't mean you can't ask. Yeah. <laughs> now what you could ask for is, uh, your best turnaround story. Tell me about a customer who wasn't happy and that you guys doubled down and gave them what they needed and they walked away happy. I want one of those stories. Like, and maybe that's a story they would be willing to share. Um, you know, yeah, we got off to a rocky start, but these guys love us now and they renewed and re-upped for another three years. You know, that, that kind of, and that would be a really interesting customer to talk to. How did you get them to d double down and, and, and fix it up and make you happy? And well, that'll be when the real dirt comes out. And it's generally, from my experience, is going to be customer service related or, yeah, they were, they were trying to sell something that didn't exist in some cases or was incomplete. Yep. But the, the upselling before you're even baked with what you have, that's mind blowing to me. That one, that's hubris right there. Like that's, that's beyond anything I would tolerate. I would, I would literally 
have a very stern conversation with whomever and shut that one down. Probably just part of their protocol when it comes to that transition. Like, you know, this is where you hit them. Like, this is the phase in which you try to do like a, hey, have you tried this new product out? We can give you a trial for it. And if you're already like, I'm not even out of this other trial and I've got a nightmarish set of support tickets that you're ignoring, then probably not the best time to ask. So. Right, right. That's that's yeah, that's crazy that any vendor would think that was an appropriate timing for that. I would, you know, wait until they're happy, right? Like a good vendor knows who their their happy customers are, and a good vendor knows who their not happy customers are. And a good vendor has that oversight and that awareness. Why on God's green earth would you go to a not happy yet customer and hammer on them for, for more money? And ask right? them for like, more money. Yeah. That's that's just crazy to me. That, that that that's that's some basic company physics. And I'm wondering how do we get under the hood there? Like how are you structured as a company? How do you, you know, how does how does negative customer experience A translate to business awareness on your part to know not to sell to customer A when customer A is unhappy? Like, I don't know how you reverse engineer that, but but that's clearly a lacking piece of their structure and their and their company. I mean, I've I've worked at little startups as small as five. I've worked at big startups that were doing six hundred fifty million a year, you know, all all the way in that range. And and I've never not been in an environment where we didn't know who the angry customer was or the unhappy customer or the customer that isn't quite there yet or whatever that status might be. We were aware of these things. And I can't imagine anybody in sales leadership aware of that and still saying, yeah, yeah, go upsell. What means could we have as the consumer to possibly vet and understand? Like, do we ask questions about how customer service and sales are aligned? Like, what's your organization? Like, how do we, how do we unravel that one and get to where we understand? Oh, good. Look, customer service and sales are aligned really well. It's the same leader, the same, you know, like questions like that. It seems like those questions would be worth asking. Yeah, you, you could actually even have their VP of customer success or someone like that join a call as a sell and ask them if they'd straight up that they feel like they're aligned with their, you know, their CRO. Are they trying to upsell things on uh, or being used as a way to upsell things uh, early yeah. on into the journey, <clears throat> which, I, again, was a big disconnect for us. Didn't understand it. That would, that would be one we could ask and dig into. I'm just trying to think of lessons learned for all of the audience, right? Like, this case study is horrifying. So, so what do we learn from it? What can we all think to do better to avoid cases like this in the future? I think I would have actually, if I can go back, I would have happily had embarrassment to my boss and said, look, I chose the wrong vendor. I need to start getting out of this ASAP. So we, we waited too long. <clears throat> I think we had enough uh, meat with that breach on the table uh, to just leave then. And then they ignored us. So in the future, I could just involve legal earlier. Say, I need an out. Help me tank. I need an exit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the contract. Yeah, get me out. Um and that's that sucks when you have to go to legal for that kind of thing. Like like that's not a place you ever want to be. I've I've never had to invoke legal to punt a vendor, but I have had arguments with the vendor over was this really a breach of contract or not, and threatened to bring in legal. And I've never had to go further than that myself. And I, I guess I'm lucky. Well, they were being sour. I think it was a hardball situation too. I mean, on their side too, it's not the prettiest thing to, to discuss too, especially if you have a data breach involved. Like it would have been nice to be a fly on the wall for that conversation to see how they thought that was appropriate to actually try to come back. And instead of just letting us out of the contract right there and then. So I think uh, admitting, basically admitting that you've had a, you know, a failure within your control framework already, even though that you're, you know, refusing to provide the, the scope or the applicability. Yeah, no, that's definitely to me uh, an SLA violation. <laughs> you know, like it, it's even, even if it's the other guy's data that you're, you're seeing, you know, you're still seeing stuff in the clear on their wiki. You're still seeing, you know, there, there's enough red flags there to, I would call that an SLA violation for certain.
Well, Paul, any last tips or tricks when we talk about these kinds of scary vendor situations? You know, this was a SaaS vendor. Would there have been a difference with an on-prem tool? Are there maybe some on-prem tips we want to throw in here before we call it a call it a wrap? Maybe just be explicit and say, hey, is there something that's going to be required of us in post-pod? Should we expect to have more resources? Is there something that we missed here? Um, I don't know, have them give you a roadmap of what you were saying earlier, which is what does it look like from when I'm uh, before I'm a customer deal signed after this customer's uh, been, you know, onboarded, <clears throat> do they have like a 90 day plan to help you ease into this kind of like a, an onboarding success story or a plan? Yeah. Yeah. That, that data module, they told you, you were responsible for like that, that, that shouldn't have been a surprise, right? No, it should not have been a surprise at all. That was completely missed. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be, that would be covered by that one. All right. Well, listen, Paul Moreno, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Cool. Thank you for having me, Alan. I really appreciate it. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.